Matthew 18, verse 21. Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. At this, the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him, counselled the debt, and let him go. But when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred silver coins. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, Be patient with me and I will pay it back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had that man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were outraged and went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said. I cancelled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. This is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. And the second reading is from Matthew 6, verse 12. Give us, oh, sorry, from verse 12. And forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Well, thank you to Peter for reading for us. Uh, the other day, uh, one of our, uh, our three-year-old daughter uh, wanted something really badly. Uh, pretty, pretty standard around our place. Uh, I think it was a, um, I think it was a little leash for a little soft toy that she has. Uh, so you know, pretty, pretty important stuff. Uh, she was trying to convince me that this is what she needed, and she said to me, uh, "This is the thing I need most in my whole life." And then I said, "Well, you shouldn't exaggerate." And then um, I got myself into this big conversation with a three-year-old about what what the word exaggerate means, and um, really just went on and on. It wasn't good parenting at all, um, but. <laughs> I don't think it's an exaggeration to say that today we are looking at the thing that we do need most in our lives. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Uh, we're looking at the topic of forgiveness. I wonder if you agree that forgiveness is the thing that we need the most. Well, the Lord's Prayer that we're looking at at the moment gives us two big reasons why we need forgiveness. We ask God to forgive our debts, which kind of implies that we have a great debt before God and that we need to be forgiven. Sort of, you might call it a vertical dimension to the forgiveness that we need. But also, and it goes on to say, as we forgive our debtors, we also have a horizontal need, you might say. We need to forgive others, to forgive one another. You might have noticed that 
We live in a world that's quite divided these days, and I think getting angry and angrier. Uh, I think the world needs to know more of forgiveness, uh, and we're very much included in that ourselves. Four points for us to think about today. Uh, if we think about that vertical dimension then to forgiveness, um, our need for God's forgiveness, that's really the first two points. Uh, point one, a great debt. Point two, a God of forgiveness. And then points three and four, we'll think more about uh, that, that horizontal issue, um, think forgiving in the horizontal, a forgiving heart, point three, and point four, a community of grace. So a great debt, a God of forgiveness, a forgiving heart, and a community of grace. Uh, first of all, a great debt. Uh, now, you might have noticed, by the way, uh, if you're a regular here especially, uh, normally when we say the Lord's Prayer here at church, we say, um, as, as lots of churches do, we say, forgive us our sins uh, as we forgive those who sin against us. Uh, that's partly because if you go and look up Luke's Gospel, you'll find that that's the word that Jesus chooses to use there. Uh, but we, we've read today from the book of Matthew. Uh, and here in, in the book of Matthew, Jesus used a word, uh, uses a word that we translate as debts. Or um, sometimes, particularly in the olden days, you might have seen it translated as trespasses. Uh, but debts, I think, is, is more accurate. And really, debts, sin, sin trespasses, um, I guess they're all very similar words. Um, but to think about debt, I think to think about debt is a really accurate way of understanding where we stand uh, before God because of our sinfulness. We have a great debt uh, before him. And that's, of course, the picture that we got from the story that Peter read for us. Uh, did you pick up the details of the story? There's a king. The king represents God. Uh, and then there's a man, a servant. And the servant owes the king a great debt. Actually, um, the debt that the servant owes is a ridiculous debt. 10,000 bags of gold, Jesus said, which is sort of, the commentators say, Jesus chooses a number that's not even realistic, just a ridiculously big amount of money. You can look at the studies and kind of trying to work out what the, what the modern equivalent of 10,000 bags of gold would be. Um, it's something, something in the order of a trillion dollars. It's that sort of money we're talking about. I think Australia's national debt is about 500 billion. So it's that sort of um, number that Jesus chooses to um, use in his story. I think it's clear the point of this debt seems to be that there's no way out. There's just, the servant is totally out of options. There's no possible way that anyone could repay this sort of debt. No one has this sort of money. The burden that this servant felt would have been huge. I'm sure uh, many of us know what it is to be in debt. Uh, lots of us probably have a mortgage. Uh, when you go and look at your mortgage in your bank account, it can be a bit of a scary number sometimes. Uh, I remember quite a long time ago, though, uh, knowing someone who was um, pretty down and out. Uh, they were a single parent. They kind of got by on Centrelink. And I remember one day they got a letter in the mail from Centrelink um, saying that, uh, they'd not been giving correct information and they'd been overpaid uh, for, for years. Um, so suddenly they found themselves already down and out in a massive debt um, to Centrelink. Suddenly they, they found out that they, they owed thousands and thousands of dollars. You can just imagine uh, the feeling of opening that letter, can't you? To have that sort of debt hanging over your head. You'd, you'd feel, kind of feel sick in your stomach, wouldn't you? You know, you just have no idea what you were going to do or how you were going to uh, keep going. I'm sure all of us know that feeling at some level. It's, it's that yucky feeling that comes maybe when you open the mail and there's a speeding fine that you find there. Um, or, or even just something like, you know, you, you turn on your air conditioner at the start of summer um, and you realise your air conditioner's not working and you realise, oh, we're going to have to um, end up with this huge bill to replace our, our aircon, which we, we hadn't counted on having to pay. Or you write your car off and suddenly, you, you know, you're thinking about, you know, we're going to have to go into debt to get a new car. Oh, it's, it's not particularly nice, those feelings, are they? 
But I think it's those sorts of feelings that we should be feeling when we realize the debt that we have before God. And this isn't just a matter of, I'm going to have to cut back a little bit or adjust my lifestyle so I can get square again. No, this is is that 10,000 bags of gold kind of debt. This is a debt uh, that we're so far away from ever even thinking about being able to pay back. That's something of what it should feel like when our debt is exposed. Probably the most famous example in the Bible of sin being exposed is the story of King David. Uh, Back in the Old Testament, you might have heard of David. David, uh, his story starts off well. He's that hero who kills Goliath. Uh, But later on uh, comes the story of David and Bathsheba. Uh, David sees Bathsheba bathing on a rooftop. He brings her in. Uh, He has sex with her, even though she's married to someone else. She gets pregnant. David tries to cover it up. Uh, And eventually he ends up arranging for her husband to be killed in battle. It's an awful, um, blatant sin. And uh, after it happens, it sort of seems like for a while that David is going to get away with it. Um, Except then, God reveals everything that happened to the prophet Nathan. And Nathan comes to David and exposes the sin. Suddenly David's sin is out there. It's known, laid bare, exposed for what it is. And this is the incident that leads to David writing a psalm. Psalm 51, it's a psalm of confession. I think it's worth looking at the start of Psalm 51 just to notice a couple of things because these are the words of someone who's just realized their great debt. This is the words of someone who's just realized their true sinfulness. This is what David says. He says, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin, For I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So you are right in your verdict and justified when you judge. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. They're the words of a broken man, aren't they? Two things I think really stand out. The first thing, isn't it weird there where... Uh, how, David, how David says, uh, he prays to God and he says, God, against you, you only have I sinned. Um, I mean, his sin is against Bathsheba. His sin is against Bathsheba's husband. Um, his sin is against the whole country for being an unfaithful leader. And of course, he knows all of that. But he still says this. And I think what David understands is that when we do the wrong thing, when we're, when we're selfish, when we're careless, when we lie, when we hurt others, it's actually God that we're hurting. We're actually hurting God. This is God's world. He made it. And he wants us to live his way, to care for the world he's, he's made. And when we fail to do that, well, we're saying we don't care about him. We're saying we don't care about his authority. We're choosing not to listen to God. We're ruining the world that he made. And that hurts. It, it hurts God. I think we should say that. And, and it feels pretty bad, doesn't it, when you realize that you've, you've hurt someone. Our sin is, it's not just, oh, I did the wrong thing and I shouldn't do that because I want to be a better person and I want to try and work on myself. Um, no, our sin isn't even so much about us. Our sin hurts someone. It hurts someone else. It's never a victimless crime. Our sin hurts God. And so we have a great debt to him. The other thing that might stand out as a bit weird here is what David says uh, about being sinful at birth. Sinful from even, uh, what does it say? Sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Um, that's another bit of a weird comment, isn't it? Um, you know, what's David saying? Is he saying that babies are evil? What was what he talking about? Well, 
I think again what David has realised is, is, is that he's understood that um, yes, he's done this really awful thing, right? It's really bad. Adultery, murder, it's about as low as it gets. But what he's realised is that that sin, the, the evil desires that have caused that sin, well, the evil desires have actually always been there. Deep down, they've always been there in the bottom of his heart. So even when he was that little perfect shepherd boy who killed Goliath and was so brave, full of integrity, the sin was there. It was, it was there from the time he was born. And some of us will be able to say, well, I'm not so much like David. I haven't done anything so blatant. I've never killed anyone. I'm not so bad. Uh, but one of the things Psalm 51 shows us is that, well, we all like David have sin in our hearts. And it's, it's not something we've learned or grown into. It's always been there. For some of us, those sinful desires, because we've let them get out of hand or we've found ourselves in hard situations, those desires have led to really awful things. Um, but perhaps for others, maybe, you know, thankfully, we've been able to restrain ourselves a little more or we haven't had the opportunity to sin in such blatant ways. But I think in either case, if we look deep inside, we look into the inclinations of our heart and if we're honest about who we are, we realise that we do have a heart that's a bit like David's. It's a bit like the Agatha Christie detective um, Hercule, Hercule Perrault says in one book, everyone is a potential murderer, given the right set of circumstances. Our hearts are not naturally inclined to follow God. We'd much rather be God ourselves. And if people were able to see the depths of our hearts, I think we'd be pretty ashamed of some of the things they might see there if we found our sin exposed. And so this isn't something we can escape from. Uh, from. We're sinful. Our sin is against God. He's the one we've heard. We've all got that letter from Centrelink in the mail. We're all faced with a great debt, a debt owed to God, a debt that we cannot repay. And so as we feel the weight of that debt, well, we can turn then to our second point, a God of forgiveness. Moving back to our story with the king and the servant, the servant had such a great debt, had, had nowhere else to go, nothing else he could do. But we remember what happened next, don't we? Well, the servant comes in, begs for forgiveness, 10,000 10, bags of gold hanging over, to, over his head. And the king says, I release you. Your debt is paid. You, you can go. Your debt is cleared, cancelled. Wow. A few years ago, I remember getting a parking fine. It wasn't, wasn't a big amount. I think it was 100 bucks, um, and, I, and I ended up writing an email in because I didn't think it was fair. I, um, I'd gone to a national park, and actually the machine to pay for your parking was broken, so you know, there was no way I could have paid for my parking, so I wrote my email in, and I got an email back a, a couple of weeks later saying, uh, we've gone and investigated, and we found out that was true. The machine wasn't working, so um, it's all good. We've cancelled we've your fine. That was, that was a nice email to get. Brilliant. My, my fine is cancelled. And of course, that's only 100 bucks. Not a big deal. But imagine the feeling maybe of, of going into your bank account and finding your whole mortgage paid off or something like that. Or in the case of the servant, 10,000 bags of gold. A debt he could never repay. repay and it's just gone. It's, it's cleared. What an amazing feeling of relief that would be. Well, when we come before God, he is like this king. We have a debt that we could never repay. Our hearts are against him. We don't live his way. We hurt him. And yet he says, your debt is paid. You're forgiven. Pretty amazing, isn't it? 
And it's not if, by the way, it's not if the king pretends the debt wasn't there or says, ah, oh, it wasn't never that big a deal, you know, um, as if it never even mattered. No, the king in this story has borne a great cost, hasn't he? Those 10,000 bags of gold, by choosing to not demand what he's owed, well, the king is choosing to bear the cost of the debt himself, isn't he? This forgiveness is not a small deal. God's forgiveness isn't light. It comes at an incredible cost. And this is the heart of the gospel, isn't it? For God to be just, our debt that we owe him still has to be paid. We can't just pretend it wasn't there. And what a cost it was. This is, this is why Jesus had to die, to take sin's cost and bear it himself. This is the only way God can forgive our debt. Like, like the king bearing the cost himself. And this is why every time we take communion, like we did today, we remember his blood was shed, his body was broken, and we eat and drink, not just because we want to remember, but because we want to do more than that. We want to feel the weight of it. We want to see it. We want to taste it. We want to smell it. It's only by his death that we can find the forgiveness that we so desperately need. And it's right that we go back and, and take communion again and again, regularly like we do here at church. It's right too that we confess our sins regularly. Um, I think Jesus expected the Lord's Prayer to be prayed daily or something like the Lord's Prayer to be prayed prayed daily Uh, and so we should remember to often in our prayer times take the time to examine our hearts, examine the inclinations of our hearts even and confess uh, our sinfulness to God and that's a good thing to do here regularly at church too to confess our sins together like again we did this morning and we don't do either of those things, we don't take communion or confess our sins because we need to be justified again and again and again and it's not like we need to remember every single sin um, because if we just forget one sin then it won't get included on the cross or anything like that. If we're in Jesus, we're, we're justified, we've been justified once for all, our debt has been completely paid, we've been brought into God's family. But our ongoing sin is still there, it's still before God and it still hurts God and there's still the relational side to it. The price is paid but because... Uh, because, the, because the price is paid, God can forgive. But he still wants us to say that we're sorry and ask for his forgiveness. And as, when we ask for forgiveness and when we confess our sins, it's good to remember the cross because what that shows us is that our forgiveness, it's not a cheap thing. This is what it costs. This is what our forgiveness costs. It's not a light thing. It's not a cheap thing. But the good news is we can come to him We can come again and again because we know that he's a God of mercy. He is a God of forgiveness. Our great debt, as we'll sing in the sermon, uh, our debt is great, but as we'll sing after the sermon today, our sins are many, but his mercy is more. He's a kind and forgiving king. He gave his own son to pay our debt. We don't have to worry that his mercy and forgiveness will run out. He's like that loving parent where when a toddler comes to say, sorry, of course, of course he's going to forgive us. And when we take communion, we we can take it confidently. And we should go away filled with joy because we know the relief of being able to come to the God of forgiveness, knowing that our sins will be forgiven and our debt debt is cancelled. What greater need could we have than that, his forgiveness? Well, we've seen the great debt, we've seen the forgiving God. That's really, like we said at the start, to do with that vertical level, our debt before God and God forgiving us. But what about how this plays out with those around us on that horizontal level? This is where Jesus takes us next uh, in the Lord's Prayer. It's also where uh, the story that we've been looking at goes next. Uh, It starts with the servant being forgiven, but then the twist is now how the servant responds, isn't it? 
It's kind of crazy, isn't it? Surely the servant who's been forgiven such a massive sum would happily forgive the person who owes him just a small amount of money. Uh, But no, he refuses and has his fellow servant thrown in jail. What a twist in the story. And the twist in the story asks a hard question of us. If we have been forgiven and if we've seen how much we've been forgiven by God, well, will we back that up by showing the same forgiveness in our hearts towards others, towards each other? Of course, forgiving something is that someone isn't necessarily an easy thing to do, is it? Of course, yeah, some of the time it is easy. You know, they're just little things that can be easy to forgive and quick. But I'm sure lots of us have some of those bigger things. Maybe you have something in the moment that's been done against you or you're not sure you can forgive. It's just too hard. And actually, what's more is that our world is starting to actually ask questions about whether forgiveness is really a good thing in the first place. People will say that it's not right to forgive that offensive comment or that indiscretion. People, people have to be held to account for what they've done. Um, you, you might remember this example. Back in 2015, there was a, a terrible shooting in Charleston in, in America, in the US, uh, shooting at a church. A, a gunman came into the church and shot dead nine black American Christians uh, while they were in Bible study. And sometime after that shooting, the church came out and said publicly um, that they'd forgiven the shooter. You can imagine how hard that would have been to do. And you think, well, okay, maybe people will say, oh, that's an amazing thing to do. How amazing that this church could forgive that person. And a few people did say that. But actually, a lot of people said, no, that's, that's not right. You can't forgive him. That's not fair. That just lets powerful, guilty people off the hook. We might find ourselves feeling a similar thing in a, in a personal situation. We don't really want to forgive that person because we don't really think they deserve our forgiveness. They shouldn't get away with what they've done. So, so what, what do we say? I think it's helpful to be very clear about what forgiveness is and what forgiveness isn't. What forgiveness is and what forgiveness isn't. And actually, let's uh, start with what forgiveness isn't. I think it's good to say clearly that just because you forgive someone doesn't mean there's no consequences for what someone has done. Uh, the church in Charleston forgave uh, Dylan Roof, the shooter, uh, but D- Dylan Roof is still on death row in America. There's still consequences for what he's done. It doesn't mean he's let out of jail or anything like that. And it's a good thing that we live in a society of law and justice as much as those systems are imperfect and limited. And forgiveness isn't the same as forgetting. You know, we, we sometimes say forgive and forget, like, like you can pretend something never happened. And often that is a good thing to do for something that's small. But um, if you've had someone treat you horribly, you can forgive them. But that doesn't just automatically mean you you can forget what's happened it doesn't mean you automatically just have to jump straight back into that relationship like nothing's ever ever gone down there are lots of situations where that would be a very unwise thing to do so forgiveness it doesn't mean no consequences it doesn't mean forgetting Um, and I want to say this as well forgiveness also isn't a feeling Um, I think sometimes we talk about sort of we, we want to forgive someone but we kind of don't think we can do it because I can't really forgive that person because I just can't bring myself to feel feel that thing. I still feel hurt by it. But actually, forgiveness isn't a feeling because this is actually a choice. Uh, Forgiveness is a choice to when someone's hurt you, it's a choice to take the path of grace and mercy, not the path of vengeance and revenge. It's a choice to take the path of grace and mercy, not the path of vengeance and revenge. The king with a servant, he, he chose the path of mercy, didn't he? He forgives the servant's debt. But when given the choice, the servant chooses vengeance and revenge. He, he has his fellow servant thrown in jail. 
And if he's going to have that attitude, the king says, well, why should, why should I forgive you in the first place if you won't forgive others? Choosing the path of grace and mercy, it doesn't mean there's no justice. Uh, if you're a, the victim of a crime, you might be faced with a choice whether or not to press charges before the police. I, I, I just think those decisions are hard and there can be good reasons to press charges. Justice is good. Pursuing charges in a law court might help stop others from getting hurt. It might be a helpful thing for the guilty party to have to go through that process. Um, but forgiveness, forgiveness isn't the opposite of justice. It's the opposite of revenge. So it means not trying to pursue legal justice out of the sake of trying to get back at that person for what they've done or, or just, just trying to make them pay. We need to let go of that eye for an eye kind of thinking and choose to take the path of grace and mercy. That's what forgiveness is. Even that, of course, can still be a really hard thing. Sometimes, sometimes we do want to get back at people. Sometimes we do want to take revenge. Uh, and I think if we want to let go of that, well, we can look to two places. We can look to the cross. We remember the debt that we're owed, the debt that we've had forgiven, we remember what it cost God to forgive us. And so we can say, I know I've been hurt. I feel hurt. But I also know that before God, I've been forgiven the debt that I could never have repaid. So who am I to choose revenge and get, get what I think I deserve by, by getting back at them? Because if I really got what I deserved, well, it wouldn't be good for me. And we can also look another place. We can also look forward to Jesus' return. Yeah, that fear that Forgiveness might mean people get away with things, that fear that says, look, I have to go out and get revenge and, and if I can't trust the legal system to get justice for me, I have to go out and get revenge myself. Um, if we believe Jesus is coming back, well, we never actually have to feel that fear. We know justice will be done because the good and perfect judge is going to come and put things right. That awful thing that's been done to me, he, he knows about it, he'll see to it. That's really what it looks like to have a forgiving heart, choosing not to seek revenge, choosing to trust in the good judge, choosing to let God be God. Remembering in the first place that sin really hurts him the most. And given what we've looked at today, he's the one that we should happily want on the judgment seat. A great debt, a God of forgiveness, a forgiving heart. Uh, last thing then, a community of grace. Um, this is such a big topic today. Uh, so much more we could talk about and different examples we could get into and wrestle over. Uh, but we've seen something of the amazing forgiveness that God offers if we trust in Jesus. Uh, we've thought about how we might go about forgiving others. I just wanted to do one last, uh, one last point of application and spend a couple more minutes just thinking about the difference that forgiveness makes um, for us as a church. Because I think, you know, put everything together that we've thought about, my conclusion is if we live in a world that's finding forgiveness harder and harder and less and less of a positive thing, and if, if we, you know, I'm talking to those of us who belong to Jesus, if we know the great forgiveness of God, well then surely it's going to make a profound difference in terms of what we look like as a community compared to the rest of the world because we know how much we've been forgiven. I don't know, we, we do talk about this kind of thing a bit. We talk about how we want Christians to stand out. We want people to be able to say, hey, there's something different about those Christians. And the Bible says in lots of places uh, that we should look a bit different. Um, but I wonder, I've often thought at least subconsciously that, okay, that means that Christians should be happy and friendly and have a great community where nothing ever goes wrong. Sort of like Pleasantville, Pleasantville or Stepford Wives or those sorts of movies. Um, but I, actually, I don't really think that can be it because that's just not all the always the reality, is it? That's sometimes... A little bit fake. 
you know what I think people should actually see when they come and spend time with us? Um, I actually think people should see that we're weak. I think people should see that we're broken, that we're flawed, that we're hurting. You know, I even pe- think people should see us sometimes hurting each other. Um, <laughs> that's, a, that's a sentence you wouldn't want to take out of context, is it? Um, but I want people to see all those things because uh, when people come to spend time with us, I want people to see the gospel. I want people to come and see that we're flawed but forgiven. I want people to see that we're broken but that we trust in him. I want people to come to see what we're really like. I want them to find a people who are just so aware of the great debt that we owe to God but so full of joy knowing that that debt has been paid, that we are forgiven. And what might that look like? I, I think, you know, it'll look like being people who are quick to say sorry to each other. Um, it might look like confessing sins to one another. I think that'd be a great thing to do and pointing each other to God and to his grace. Uh, it'll look like humility, knowing that we're all flawed, we're all sinful. It'll look like bearing with each other in our flaws with grace and being quick to forgive, knowing the great debt that we've had forgiven. Uh, one of the things I myself would like to get better at is sometimes I get home from church or something and I sort of think, ah, oh, I was a bit short with that person today or I probably wasn't very clear or very helpful or you know, I might have been a bit harsh in that conversation and kind of me naturally, I kind of, I kind of, I'm a bit of a water off a duck's back kind of person so my natural reaction is to think, ah, oh, I'm sure it didn't matter, you know, I'm sure we could just forget about it and never bring it up again and look, some, sometimes you, know, you, you can't remember every tiny thing that's happened, can you? But, um, but wouldn't it be great if we were the kind of community that uh, where it was normal to ring someone up and say, hey, I don't know what you thought about that conversation the other day. You might not even remember it, but I was thinking about it and I felt like I kind of didn't say it how I wanted to say it and I just wanted to say sorry. Wouldn't that be a good thing to do, would it? And even if we're just talking about those little things, well, we, you don't start a culture of grace and forgiveness by waiting until a really big issue comes along and then starting then, do you? Um, it, it, I think it's good to be quick to say sorry to each other, good to see, be quick to forgive. Uh, maybe for you, um, it's something different. Being more vulnerable, maybe, um, is, is what you need. Or maybe you find it really hard to forgive and it'd be good for you to reflect more on the great debt that we've had forgiven in Jesus. Uh, maybe we need to get better at asking people to say sorry when we've been hurt, because we're the sort of person that always bottles it up rather than clears the air. Uh, but as we finish today, let's remember what a joy it is. We can know that we're forgiven. And what a joy it is to journey with each other in our, in our small groups, in our friendships, in our time together on Sundays. We're able to share our flaws and our failings with each other. And what a joy and privilege it is to be able to point each other to the amazing grace of God, to be able to remind each other of, that we have the thing that we need most. We have his forgiveness. Let me pray. Well, our Heavenly Father, in the words of the song we're about to sing, Uh, What riches of kindness you've lavished on us. Jesus' blood was the payment. His life was the cost. We stood beneath a debt we could never afford. Our sins, they are many, but your mercy is more. Father, we thank you that we are forgiven. We ask that you would help us to forgive others as you've forgiven us. Amen.